Christmas, everybody. It's uh, always good to be able to. That's actually how I started the uh, conversation with that little cashier gal at the tile store was just wishing her a Merry Christmas. And I can't remember where she went from there, but we ended up talking about that. And uh, it was just a good time. So God is, God is good. And um, so we are, we are in that time of Christmas. That, uh, it's a very good uh, time of the year. Um, time when people are a little bit softer, especially, you know, here in the States anyways, I don't know how the rest of the world um, does this. And, and obviously what I want to, you know, make sure that people understand when we celebrate Christmas, we know that Jesus wasn't born in December, let alone the 25th. We know that. Historically, that's just, you know, that's not, it's improbable. It's impossible. More than likely it was in the, in the uh, springtime, but... The important thing is, is uh, and, and, you know, theologians and uh, uh, apologists have for years since the beginning, they've fought against this when it started to become a tradition. And a lot of it came about because of the Roman Catholic traditions that were being forced upon people. And so Protestants were starting to push against this idea. Um, I was just reading some stuff yesterday on, on Spurgeon. He had a love-hate relationship with it, seemingly. And, uh, but it's just one of those things where um, just if you look at it from one view, you can see and, and understand. And his was because he was so, um, he, know, he knew what the uh, Roman Catholic Church was all about. And so that's why he didn't like those traditions. But on the other hand, he's like, you know, this is a day when we should feast. We should celebrate. We should because salvation has come. And it is that time of the year. Um, the end of the year is almost at hand already. We're almost ready to enter into 2023. That's crazy. That is crazy, especially those of us who were born in the 60s. Who, who would have thunk it? We would have been around still. It's just so weird. Um, and all the fulfillments or all the things that we saw on television that are everyday uses, this being one of them. You know, we watched Star Trek and we had the communicators and well, here they are. It's just so weird. All these things that we have. And, uh, and it is, it's almost at the end of the year and another year is going to come. And, and we do take time to celebrate. We take time to exchange gifts, to feast. We should feast. Feasting is good. That's going to be part of the deal in the, the kingdom to come, in the age to come. Feasting. We read about that in Isaiah 26. Um, we make time. We plan visiting family and uh, plan for time to enjoy them and, and just spend time with them. But it's not what Christmas is really about. It's not about those ones that we love. It's part of it, and it has become part of that. But how often do we stop and think in the midst of it all, in the midst of all the stuff, and we see the, commu- uh, the consumerism and all the things, and, and even with talking with this, this little gal at the, this tile store, that you know the differences of what we believe. <clears throat> and uh, we do we wonder that we stop and we think, why Christmas? What, what is it about Christmas? What is Christmas really all about? And sometimes when we think about Christmas, sometimes we have to remember the ugly part of Christmas. You're like, what? What are you talking about? It's Christmas time. Well, there's a lot of things that are going on in the world. I wrote down a few incidences that have just been reported just last week. 
Things that are happening at a breakneck speed. Why Christmas? Well, if we look around the world, we see the injustices and tyranny uh, arising in alarming volumes. It's all over the world. Tyranny that's being just unfolded right before our eyes and people that are just taking it. They're, not, they're just taking it sitting down because they're comfortable, because they have everything that they want. They have food, they have roofs over their heads, they're, they're comfortable. <clears throat> whilst, whilst the people behind these tyrannies, they, they decry totalitarianism. I've seen that. These ones that are actually pushing the tyranny, they're decrying, you know, the totalitarianism of those conservatives. How dare they? And we see these things unfolding. I saw a, uh, in the, uh, you probably, maybe you've seen it, maybe you've not, in New Zealand. The tyrannical government there, under this crazy woman that's their head, they actually took a baby from its parents. Because the, parent had, the, the baby was born with a heart defect and, and they need to do a surgery on it. And all the parents were asking was, look, we're, we're okay with that. We want this done. We want our baby to be healthy. We just want to make sure that our baby doesn't get the vaxxed blood because there's going to be blood transfusion. We don't want the jabbed blood. We want just, un, could you just give us somebody that's not jabbed and use that blood? So the government steps in and says, no. In fact, not only no, we're going to take that child and we're going to force this surgery now and we're going to force the jabbed blood on your child. That's tyrannical and that's depraved. It's tyrannical and it's depraved. We here at Calvary, we, you know, during the Bible studies, we've talked about some of the doctrines that we talk about. One of them is the depravity of man. When man fell in the beginning, he didn't just fall partly. He shut himself off from relationship with God. He totally rebelled. This creature, this, this creature that God had made on this wonderful creation and all the creation around us in the universe, this creature, this puffed up dirt, rebelled against the holy righteous God. And God in His greatness, He interceded on their behalf. And I want to talk more about that in a minute, but I want to continue to talk about this injustice that's been done to these uh, uh, to these poor people. So they're forcing this surgery and they're forcing this uh, unwanted thing from the parents. <clears throat> you see, when tyrannies are in power, they don't care about what you want or what's best for, for your children in accordance with your opinion. That's how tyranny works. You don't get a say-so in the matter. The state steps in and does what it wants. And it's sad. There's a video. You see them. The, they have police in this hospital room with this little tiny baby. They have the bureaucrats that are in there, these women that are, you know, just going along. And these cops that are in there that are just, well, we're just doing our jobs. We're just following orders. And the parents are saying, you're criminals. You're all criminals. You can't do this. This is immoral. This is wrong. This is not right. 
In our own country, apart from New Zealand, in North Carolina, a young 14-year-old girl adopted from Ukraine. She needs a kidney, kidney transplant because she was born with a, with a defect, and her kidneys will shut down eventually. And they have a donor, and they have all the things set up, and they go to, to and I'm going I'm to name it because it needs to be named, Duke University Medical Center. They said, no, we're not going to do this unless this child is jabbed. That's tyrannical and depraved. These are doctors that are sworn to do no harm. These are the parents who are saying, well, no, hold on a second. We're just, we're just, we don't want this. None of us are, and we don't want to get, and we don't want our family jabbed. That's just a choice we've made. And some people will say, well, if they would just, you know, just, just get the jab and have the surgery. Well, these people have a, a conscience, and in their conscience, they're being told no. They're Christians. And these are some of the things. It's tyrannical and it's depraved. And so they're having to find another place that will hopefully do the surgery and do the transplant. And they're going to have to cost, it's going to cost extra money because they're going to have to go out of state and they're going to have to do it somewhere else and all these other things. So there's extra costs involved. Also in our country, maybe you've heard of this, and I will tread lightly and not spend too much time here. Um, because we have very sensitive ears. <clears throat> um, in Chicago, recently, just a few days ago, a video was released. A dean of a, of a private school, a prestigious private school, um, was recorded, unbeknownst to him. And I'm naming names. Joseph Bruno. He's the dean of this, of this facility, of this school. And it's there in Chicago, Illinois. It's a private school. And he was recorded as being proud and bragged about the fact that they pass out sex toys to children as part of their sex education. What? Yes. And he's bragging about it. Well, when they found out in the school board or the, uh, the administrators, the directors, the board of directors found out, You'd think that they said, hey, we're going to investigate this and we'll fire him and maybe possibly pursue charges and have this guy arrested. You'd think that that would be their response. No, they're defending him. Oh, this, this, this was a video that was edited, you see. And it was edited uh, to make him look bad, taking him out of context. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy all the things that are going on. It's indoctrination. This is a pedophilic groomer. And he's a flaming homosexual. And he's proud of it. And they're doing all these things with impunity for the most part. Why Christmas? Sometimes we forget about the ugliness of Christmas. And why it was necessary. Why just a few days ago, our Congress, the House, they passed a bill. HB Bill 8404. And they call it the Respect for Marriage Act. It's the Respect for Marriage Act. You know what it does? It's intent 
that is in the language of the bill is to, and I quote, this is right directly from the, from the bill, and I've got the bill right here, okay? It is intended to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act and ensure respect for state regulation of marriage and for other purposes. Now that sounds kind of confusing. The repeal of de defense, well, what's the Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA? I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was passed back in 1979. And you know who the president was at the time? Well, I did not have sex with that woman. Yeah, he was the one that signed it into law. And the Defense of Marriage Act, this is what it was. The Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA as it's referred to, was a federal law passed by the 104th United States Congress intended to define and protect the institution of marriage. This law specifically defined marriage as a union of one man and one woman which allowed individual states to not recognize same-sex unions. I don't call it marriage because it's not a marriage. Now, um, that's what DOMA was, that were performed and recognized under other states' laws. So um, if uh, Utah had statutes that said we don't recognize those as marriages, and we won't, um, even though um, California would recognize it, we know that. And then the people would come here and migrate here, and then they would want to be recognized. And we had the right to say, nah, no thank you. That's not a marriage, so we don't, we don't recognize that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so those things were, according to the Supreme Courts, were de deemed as being unconstitutional. Uh, in cases such as United States versus Wind Windsor in 2013, and, and you guys would be more familiar with this, or at least I hope you are, Obergefell versus Hodges, that was in 2015. Okay? DOMA specifically stated that the word spouse refers only to a person of the opposite sex who is a husband or wife. That's biblical. That's right. That's true. And further states that in determining the meaning of any act of Congress or of any ruling, regulation, or interpretation of the various administration, uh, administrative bureaus and agencies of the United States, the word marriage means only a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife, and the word spouse refers only to a person of the opposite sex who is a husband or wife. That's what DOMA was. What does this bill do? What did, I, what did I begin with? Well, it's to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, I, want, I want you to listen to some of the language in here, okay? And you may be thinking, well, what has this got to do with Christmas? This isn't very Christmassy. I'm not feeling very Christmassy right now. We have to remember what Christmas is really all, all about. It says this. Listen to this language. Um... It says in uh, section two, Congress finds the following. Number one, no union is more profound than marriage. I agree with that. For it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. I can agree with that. What's missing there? What God has instituted. That's what's missing. 
Number two, diverse beliefs about the role of gender in marriage are held by reasonable and sincere people based on decent and honorable religious and philosophical premises. Therefore, Congress affirms that such people and their diverse beliefs are due proper respect. Can you hear what that's not saying? Can you hear what it's not saying? Let me read it in a different way. Specific beliefs about the role of gender in marriage are held by unreasonable and insincere people based on indecent and unhonorable or inhonorable religious or philosophical premises. Therefore, Congress affirms that such people are specific and their specific beliefs are due no respect. That's what's not being said. The, in my opinion, the fraudulent president has already said he's going to sign this into law. Why Christmas? They're going to use this to bludgeon the church, to bludgeon Christians. If I had, if we had somebody come through that door under this law and ask of me as your pastor or Carrie as one of your elders to perform a quote-unquote marriage or ceremony of two people of the same sex, and we said no, guess what? Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, there's fines involved. See, the intent is to bludgeon the church. The intent is to take people of belief who believe in God, who believe what God has said, and just leave it at that in plain, clear sense. It's depraved and it's tyranny. This is what we're up against. There's more things that are written in there, and I don't have the time or the patience to, to deal with them. But that's what we're dealing with in the world. I haven't even mentioned, we mentioned a little bit about Nigeria. In Nigeria, just this last week, all these things just unfolded just this last week. It's happening at breakneck speed, y'all. Things are coming. Things are happening. Nigeria right now is going to pass a law. They, in fact, the, 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 uh, I don't know whether he's the president or the prime minister or what, how they're uh, set up in their power structure. But beginning in January, he's going to make it law that as a private citizen of Nigeria, you can only withdraw $45 a day from the bank. Your money. You can only take $45 a day or about $225 a week. And you can't go over that. And the banks are going to comply. Because they want to enforce a new kind of um, currency, you see. They want digital. They want a central bank. And by central, I don't mean central Nigerian bank. I mean central worldwide bank. Are you with me? It's tyrannical and it's depraved. America is right behind them. 
Other countries are right behind them. Right now we have in Brazil millions upon millions of people every single day for the last three weeks that have been pouring out in the streets. They've been sacrificing their time, their work, and all these things to protest against the fraudulent elections that just took place. And they're not giving up. I'm ashamed of America right now because we're not doing the same. They're out there in the streets and they're not giving up. The government, the fake government that has been set up, be damned. We're going to protest. They said this was a fraudulent election. We know it. And you can tell just by the number of people that are out there on the street. Millions of people voted for this one guy and they're saying, no, 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 sorry. Nope. This other guy, the leftist one, it's, a, it's Marxism. It's a darkness that is surrounding the world. Why Christmas? Because we need Christmas. It's depraved. The depravity of man is very evident. I've, I've uh, you know, why Christmas? Well, because we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need somebody to forgive us because we violated a holy, righteous God. Humanity has from the very beginning. And every person since then has been guilty of sin before Almighty God. Every single person. And there's no one who is without sin. Why Christmas? Because we need a Savior, a Redeemer, someone who can forgive our depravity. But it can't just be anybody. Because man was given dominion over the earth. And so it has to be a man. So God can't pay for the penalty of man's sin. Because man has to pay it. But praise God that before the foundations of the world, He had a plan already in, in place. They had an agreement already made. They had a covenant already forged. It just hadn't been implemented yet. And it was something that was going to happen. God already knew it. I want to quote uh, Malcolm Muggeridge. I've quoted him before about the depravity of man. It's a great quote. He said, The depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality. And by the way, most of those, uh, uh, most of those um, news articles that I was just... I just picked them just real quickly. That's just one day's worth of stuff. And that's not even going around the world he says, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. Right now we have people in power in the World Economic Forum that are essentially claiming that they are gods, and that everybody will have nothing and like it. And that means you and me, not them, that's just you and me. And they resist this idea of the depravity of man, but they rather embrace the brotherhood of man. The good things that we can do for one another. Um, 
Well, I want to read today from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That's not a Christmassy kind of a passage. What has Hebrews got to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with Christmas. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, why Christmas? Well, it tells us here. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, it reads as following. God, and I love that, the writer of Hebrews just assumes it. God. It just starts out with one word. God. Theon. Theos. In the Greek. After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed <clears throat> excuse me, heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Now sometimes we, and, and maybe it's just me, but sometimes we gloss over this verse and we miss that last little portion. The writer of Hebrews is saying, no, uh, He sent His Son... And he speaks through his son, through whom also he made the world. He's talking about Jesus as creator. That's an important thing to think about. In other words, the creator, through whom all things were made, through him, for him, by him, he came. And he took on a body of flesh. He became like you and I. The Holy Spirit did what He did within the womb of the Virgin Mary. And cells came together and they began to multiply and to double. And then double again. And then double again. And then double again. That's how we came into being. He did the same. Everything was made through Him. And the writer of Hebrews recognized this. See, it wasn't just anybody that came. It was the one through whom all things were made. That's what he says. Through him also he made the world. Then he says, he is the radiance of his glory. There you have the Father and the Son. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. That's why when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he's saying... We're like exactly in nature, because that's who I am. I'm part of the Father, and the Father's part of me. We're one in nature. He did take on a different nature. He added unto himself the nature of mankind. And he came so that he could pay, so that he could rectify the problem. The reason for Christmas. The reason why we need Christmas. He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. By that logos, that word. When He had made purifications of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He went back to his rightful place. 
Jesus challenged the people of his day in saying, what if you saw me ascend back to where I was before? What would you do then? How are you going to react? And we'll read about that in a minute. But he says, he's at the right hand of the majesty on the high, having become as much better than the angels. And as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Our Lord himself stated, as recorded in John chapter 6, the following. Um, Jesus, in, in John chapter 6, 43 through 45, he says this. He's having a conversation and he's expressing about being the bread of life. And he says specifically here in, in uh, um, John 43, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. Because they're going, Who is this guy who says he's the bread of life? Is he not the son of Joseph and Mary? Don't we know this guy? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Jesus says, Don't grumble amongst yourself. That should have given them pause. Because that, that indicates that he wasn't right there within earshot. But he knew what they were talking about. Then he says this in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Helkuo is the Greek word. Helkuo. Helkuo means to draw, like with a rope you pull forward something. But you know what else it means? It means drag. It means to pull forcefully, to drag forcefully. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. That's what happened to me. I got drawed. <laughs> How about y'all? Did you get drawed? <laughs> yeah. You just come. And you don't know why. You just do. That's what he says. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Helkuo. And I will raise him up on the last day. Notice the Father, again, and the second person of the Trinity, I, speaking of himself, will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. This is one of my favorites. I probably say it too much, but it's because I believe it. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If you have come to Jesus, it's because you've heard from the Father. Did you know that? That's awesome. The Creator, the Father of all things, spoke to you and taught you. And He continues to do so. That's His promise. He will teach you. Then He says in, uh, skip down to 63 through 65, He says, It is the Spirit who gives life. There you have the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's very necessary that we have a God who is triune. Because it fits what we are told about our God. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Kapow! Kablam! We should be seeing those, you know, the old uh, Batman, you know, kapow! The stars and the written things. He says the, the flesh profits nothing. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to come to God on your, on your own strength. You can't. It's impossible unless He first draws you. And then He says, 
uh, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. You can't fool him. You can't trick him. You can't hide under the bus. There's no escaping. Why Christmas? Because we're fallen. We're fallen creatures. And he knows who believes in him. He knows who are his. He says, it says here, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that, who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. It's an important thing. In Hebrews 9, chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 9, verses 11 through 17, it reads as following concerning the same Jesus that we're reading about, who says, No one can come to me. That's why I've said it. I've, I've declared it twice. He didn't just say it once, he said it twice. What does that do in the Hebrew mind? It establishes a witness. And there are those in the church today who just refuse to believe this doctrine. They refuse to believe it. In Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 17, it says, But when Christ appeared as high priest on the good thing, of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. What is he saying? It's supernatural. It's not natural. It's a supernatural thing, y'all. It's something that is beyond our comprehension. It's something that is heavenly. He says, not a tabernacle made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all. Hallelujah. Having obtained eternal redemption. What does eternal mean? Never ending. Everlasting. It's going to go on and on and on. It's like the song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend. Right? This is what has taken place. He says he's obtained eternal redemption for those who need redeeming. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of, of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, which is what the priests would do. Every time they performed this, they had to give a sacrifice. Every single day. They didn't go for a week at a time. They had to do this every single day. Why? Because they're fallen sinners. He went once for all. Hallelujah. We should be just up dancing in the aisles. Once for all. It's done. Praise God for this new covenant. He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. His blood will cleanse your conscience from dead works. In other words, you don't have to do anything to please God. We want to please God as believers. We want to be pleasing to God. Is that a contradiction? Absolutely not. It's not even a paradox. It's saying that God has supplied salvation. God has given it. It's His gift to whomever He bestows it upon. And He gives it freely to anyone who believes. Let me continue reading here. And then it says, And how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more? Eternally more. Unexpressibly more. Incalculable more. This is how much more it is than the blood. There's a song that I hope to enter into our repertoire that we do. And it begins with the words, Oh, the blood. What blood? Where's, where's, my, where's my song? It's right here. I forgot to include it in my notes. It goes like this. Oh, the blood. Crimson love. Price of life's demand. Shameful sin. Placed on him. The hope of every man. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. His blood cleanses. His blood was shed to clean us and to make us acceptable to the Father. We don't have to continue on in all these sacrifices. Then in verse 15, he says, For this reason, everything that we've read up to this point, 11 through 17, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. He's up there mediating. What does that mean? He's standing between you and the Father, between me and the Father. He's mediating on our behalf. I paid for them. You gave them to me. He's mediating. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. What inheritance? Eternal. That's security, guys. That's surety. That's not maybe... When you think about or when you're in conversation, when you're talking to people about eternal life, you should be able to confidently say, when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be before the Father, not in judgment, but to be welcomed. Not because of me or anything that I've done. No, I deserve the lowest places in hell. I'm worse than you think that I ever could be. 
But because of Jesus and what he did, he secured salvation for me. We can be confident in that. That's why we should have joy. And by the way, in Spanish, alegría. Alegría is the word for joy. Um, and I cheated. I looked it up. I couldn't remember. <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, he says that, that the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called um, may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. The covenant that was made so long ago before the foundations of the world had to include a death. And he goes on to explain here, for where the a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Who's the one that made it? The Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Here's the plan. Here's what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go down. And that's not to be flippant. That's essentially what they agreed upon. This is the plan. Here's what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go down. The blood would be shed for sinners like us to remove sin from the flesh. Hallelujah. And he says, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where the covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it for the covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. And that's the purpose of the covenant. When I die, this is what I have instituted. And if I break that promise, then I die. He didn't break it. He met it. He met the promise. I want to read what A.W. Pink says about salvation and things. He's, he's a... He's a, an amazing man, and during his time as a, as a believer, he went from, from uh, um, he was a man born in England, and he fell into the occult as a, as a young man, and he became born again. And he was radically saved. He left England in order to come study Christ here in the United States at the Moody Institute. And he was a pastor of many different churches here in the States. And he wrote a lot of books. And he spent a lot of time reading about things. Um, John MacArthur, in one of his uh, forewords of one of the books that A.W. Pink uh, wrote, he said this guy would dive into the, to the Word and he would pull out so much because he is love of his, of his Savior that he would go in deep. And he wouldn't stop at one place. He would just keep digging and digging and digging to get everything out of it that he could. And he would write things too deep for some of us to understand. He says this. He says, in order, this is A.W. Pink, he says, in order for any sinner to see his need of a Savior and be willing to receive a Savior, he needs the work of the Holy Spirit. Upon and within him, as imperatively required. Had, gone, had God done nothing more than given Christ to die for sinners, this is heavy, y'all. 
Had God done nothing more than given Christ to die for sinners and then sent forth His servants to proclaim salvation through Jesus Christ, thus leaving sinners entirely to themselves to accept or reject as they pleased, then every sinner would have rejected Him. You hear what he's saying? He's saying if you were left to your own devices, you would never choose Christ. He says some other things about free will, but I don't, you know, that's a whole other message for a whole other day. But he says here, they would have totally rejected him. Why? Because at heart, every man hates God. Let that sink in. At heart, every man in our natural state hates God and is at enmity with Him. Therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit was needed to bring the sinner to Christ. That's my testimony, y'all. The, the Holy Spirit had not worked? Nah, I'd be a drunk somewhere or dead or in prison. where I'd be. Now I'm just being honest with you. The Holy Spirit swoops in and He convicts us of sin. That's His work. This is why Christmas, because we need a Savior. A Savior who is a man to die in our stead. A perfect man who is unstained by sin. It can't just be anyone. In our study going through Exodus, in our overview, we studied how the, the lamb had to be picked. And it had to be unblemished. It had to be perfect. And they had to take it into their home for four days. And on the fourth day, they had to slaughter that little lamb. The kids would get familiar with that little lamb. Probably name it. And then they had to partake in the slaughtering of this little lamb. A Savior who is a man to die in our stead. A perfect man who is unstained by sin. Who can fulfill the law and all of its demands. Can you? Can I? No. The price for sin had to be paid by a holy, righteous, perfect man. I've never met that person except in Jesus Christ. And God was willing to provide that price in His Son for the rebellion by creation, mere creatures who rebelled against their Creator right from the get-go and found themselves evicted, not just from a perfect garden, but from the very presence of God. That's what they lost. And that only after he addressed their nakedness by he himself clothing them, providing for them. With what he had provided so that they should not remain naked in their sin. A picture and a symbol of an act of grace towards fallen and sinful creatures. A hint of what was to come. A result of the fall. You see, we are all at enmity with God in our natural fallen states. 
And God will and does judge sin. He does. He has more in His heart than just love. It's a popular Christian song that's not very theologically sound. It's a good song. It's a catchy song. And I like it. But it's not very sound. It says that there's only love in the heart of God. That's false. That's terrible doctrine. It's horrible theology. And theology and doctrine matter. Because there's also in the heart of God, there, are, there is love. But there is also plenty more in the heart of God. There's anger against sin. There's wrath against sin. There's judgment against sin. There's vengeance for rebellion. There's condemnation for those who have rebelled against God. But, praise God. And thank God for Christmas. Because there is also love in the heart of God. A perfect love. A love that covers a multitude of sin. A love that was demonstrated by our God. And that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. That's the wonder of Christmas. He came to die. That's why Christmas. So that we could be set free from the penalty of the sin that we deserve. There's love. There's forgiveness. Do you need forgiveness? He can do that. There's redemption. Do you need your life redeemed? He can do that. He paid for it. There's grace. Grace that abounds. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. There's mercy. Mercy for the sinner who comes to God. Like the man who was in prayer at the temple. And who looked down, he couldn't even look to heaven. And I see myself as that man, the tax collector, the sinner, pounding on his chest. Oh God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And he left it at that by faith. And he walked away. And Jesus says, you know who walked away justified? That's right. The one who couldn't even look at God but said, I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me. Have mercy. That's why Christmas. We need that mercy. And he offers it. I want to finish with this. It was kind of funny how the tree went today. I want to finish with Luke 2. This is the fourth. Yeah. And it says this, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Imagine that. The night. And then all of a sudden an angel in all his glory, boom, shows up. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. 
For today in the city of David, there has been born to you, for you, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Mashiach. Mashiach. Christ the Lord. Yahweh. Mashiach. Yahweh. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared an angel uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. He's pleased with those whom he has forgiven. He's pleased with those for whom he has shed his blood. He's pleased with those who have believed him like Abraham. I believe you, God. I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Will you forgive me? Glory to God in the highest. There's a saying, and I've seen the bumper sticker, and I agree with it. No and O, Jesus. No and O, peace. No, K-N-O-W, Jesus. No, K-N-O-W, peace. Jesus said, peace. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. But then he said, for those who believe, peace I leave with you. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And it can only and does only come about by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith. Receive the greatest gift of all, Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the promises that were written in the Old Testament of a time when a Savior would come and He would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, Bethlehem. That He would come and live a life that we could never live. And He would die in our stead and our shameful sin would be placed upon Him. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. Thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for paying the price for our sin. Thank you for sending Jesus. You are so good beyond what we could think or imagine. What a glorious God that you are. Thank you for the joy that is set before us. The joy of knowing that he will come again one day. and We will see him coming in the clouds. We will know our Savior and see Him face to face and rejoice. Thank you for all of these promises and more. Thank you for Christmas. It's because of sin. And you paid the price. Thank you. That we have a mediator, the man Christ Jesus, who mediates between us and you. Oh, Father, thank you for the perfect gift that you've given Pray that you would open the hearts, that you would draw, helkuo, those who are yours, that you have given to the Son. Draw them, Lord, I pray. 
for your name's sake and for your glory's sake, that you would be exalted forevermore. We praise you, we thank you, we love you, because you first loved us. In Jesus' holy, powerful, and mighty name, amen. Amen.